Listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk, and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. Listening to episode 14, part 2 of the Bookworm series, where we are reading chapters from Birthing Justice, Black Women, Pregnancy, and Childbirth, edited by Julia Chenier Opara and Alicia D. Bonaparte. In this episode, we covered two chapters. The first is Birthing Sexual Freedom and Healing, a Survivor Mother's Birth Story, written by Biani Perez. And the second, A Love Letter to My Daughter, Love as a Political Act written by Haley Eshe Cole. One of the reasons why I love this book is because it includes various writing styles and perspectives that center the subject of placing Black women's voices at the center of birth justice conversation. These two chapters are written in first person, thus it is written as if the authors were speaking directly to us. This book, and especially these two chapters, moved me deeply to continue pondering my own role in fighting systemic racism and uplifting the voices of Black women in this work. To create a place in which folks can gather and dive into such questions, I have joined up with Tabitha Thomas, a biracial, politicized healer and somatic coach, to launch the first session of the Birth Bruja Book Club. Starting in September 2019, we will join with folks across the country to dive into the featured book of this series, Birthing Justice. Go to birthbruja.com to learn more. And without further delay, my friends, let's dive back in. Birthing Sexual Freedom and Healing, A Survivor Mother's Birth Story Written by Biani Perez I carry my fears on my body because I don't want to leave them lying around. Washington Shire Poet Washington Shire discusses what it means to carry the weight of one's fears in order to avoid being exposed. What does it mean to live in a body that has experienced trauma or assault? The body carries the histories of past pains and present assaults. Unresolved trauma, abuse, and fear are carried in our minds, spirits, and bodies. This imprint of fear becomes a part of our lives, so much so that we hold onto it tightly. This comfort, this illusion of safety, becomes our shield from the world. Our bodies no longer belong to us. We carry the fear so tightly that we do not recognize who we are. 
We learn to disassociate from our minds and bodies. Our emotions no longer carry meaning while we inhabit our bodies. We are foreigners, looking at our bodies from the outside. Disassociation from our bodies becomes our way of life. We disassociate from the fear of knowing our bodies because we are afraid of what that knowledge will reveal. My journey from pregnancy to childbirth led me on a quest to wrestle with tough questions concerning my past. What does it mean to survive sexual trauma and abuse? What happens when black survivors of sexual abuse become pregnant? How do I, as a childbearing black woman survivor, deal with the extra challenges related to my trauma and cope with the changes to my body involved in pregnancy? This chapter takes you on my journey of transition from victim to survivor mother. I invoke the spirit and words of black queer feminist poet Audre Lorde, who calls for women to search in that deep and dark place within us, to use the erotic as power. Pregnancy and childbirth became that place for me. They allowed me to search deep within, to fight against disassociation in an effort to unite my body, mind, and spirit while I prepared for my son's arrival. Toni Morrison writes, Each story has a monster in it who made them tough instead of brave, so that they open their legs rather than their hearts where that folded child is tucked. I learned early that my body was something to be despised. I thought I deserved what happened to me at the age of 10, that I deserved to be robbed of my innocence and sense of self-worth. So when my mom's boyfriend called me to the master bedroom while my mom was out making her weekly run to the supermarket, I was intrigued by the extra attention I received from a man who filled the empty shoes of my absentee father. A part of me was curious, enthralled, and frightened. He asked me to sit on my mother's bed, so I did. Then he asked me to lie down, and I obeyed for fear that he would physically hurt me, like my mom's alcoholic former boyfriend had hurt her the year before. Then he began to touch my legs. As he reached to my inner thighs, my voice expressed my disgust. He spoke in a quiet, threatening voice. Now you don't want me to call your sister in here. Be quiet. Everything is going to be fine. And I did what he said. As he touched my face, kissed my lips, caressed my thighs, I just lay there like one of the dolls in my bedroom, lifeless. From that moment on, through secrecy, silence, and self-judgment, I would carry this pain and shame. At 10, I would experience a permanent numbness, separating myself from my body in the hope of never feeling this pain again. I would walk away from this experience, hardened by the shame of what had happened, but never brave enough to confront the incident and the trauma that lingered. At this point, I learned to navigate the world as a victim, using my tough exterior as a shield to push people away so that I would never feel that pain again. My childhood trauma, left unresolved, gave birth to more pain, disappointment, and shame. I met him my first semester of my freshman year in college. He was a nice guy, popular, and we shared mutual friends. He seemed noncommittal, and I was insecure and fascinated by the attention he gave me. A few months later, my friend and I went to a party off campus, had a few drinks, and decided to pay him a visit. My friend went back to campus and I decided to spend the night. He was a good guy, or at least I thought he was. We cuddled in his bed and kissed until he held me down. Flashbacks of my past resurfaced, 
I said no, but he ignored me. He acted like I was not there. He was not physically violent, yet he was stronger than me. He made me invisible. All I could do was return to the 10-year-old girl in the master bedroom in the 1990s, numb and motionless. As he penetrated my body, I slowly left myself. I could not allow him to see me break. I had to be tough. In my near comatose state, while he remained on top of me until he finished, I imagined my soul slash spirit leaving my body and just walking away. But my spirit didn't walk away. It stayed in the room with me, outside of my body, watching me. I felt ashamed, angry, and guilty. This time I believed I would walk away from those feelings for good, never to relive this pain again. Insight meditation teacher and emotional wisdom consultant Ruth King discusses her walk with trauma and abuse. I realized that while I had physically walked away from the traumas of childhood, I still carried them with me. The cruelties and disappointments were thriving, sheltered inside my body, mind, and heart. I did not know how to love and was too afraid to learn. Like King, I physically ran away from my past, hoping to leave it behind, but the trauma and pain were living inside my body and mind and hovered over my heart and spirit. This tough and hardened exterior that I created not only pushed people away, but made it impossible for me to know and give love. It was evident to me that I had never really abandoned my past, but buried it and let it invade my body like a disease. I was slowly beginning to see that I had spent my life running from my true self because of the agonizing shame, disappointment, and pain I felt. Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. Brene Brown shows us how to embrace vulnerability as a space where we reclaim truth and courage. In our society, we have been taught to see vulnerability as weakness, but it is the opposite and is the only way to tap into our strength and infinite power. I ran away from my story of abuse because I did not want to be a casualty of my past, but in running away, I became a prisoner and a victim. Pregnancy allowed me to tell my story, embrace vulnerability, and take a courageous step in becoming a survivor and embark on the journey to sexual, erotic freedom. I came to learn that in order for me to be free from the pains of my past, I would have to share my story. Upon discovering my pregnancy in August 2011, I was in denial. I knew that pregnancy would offer me the opportunity to confront the traumas that I have kept in hiding for far too long, but I was not sure that this was the time for self-discovery. I had reached a breaking point that year. My demons were confronting me and my unborn child was invading my life. Despite intensive therapy sessions and daily doses of antidepressants, I felt hopeless and even considered ending my life. I was getting pretty close to exploring and unpacking my fears, traumas, and suicidal thoughts. I believed that I was emotionally unprepared and too broken, not only to bring a child into this world, but to raise a healthy one. In the 39 weeks of my pregnancy, I learned that growing inside me were two children. One, my baby, and two, the inner child I had kept tucked under the pain of my trauma. Thus, both would inspire me to heal and seek the freedom I yearned for. 
Gradually, I learned to forgive myself for not being able either to change or to accept my past. By embracing emotional release, therapy, yoga, meditation, and mindfulness, and embracing vulnerability, I would be able to walk the road of love and freedom. My pregnancy was an educational, spiritual, emotional, and transformative voyage. Early in my pregnancy, I spent a great deal of time reading and absorbing literature on the topic of pregnancy and birth. As a radical woman of color, one of the issues that resonated with me pertained to the ways that U.S. healthcare system denigrates, violates, and abuses women's bodies, especially those of pregnant and expectant persons. Learning about the medical establishment's view of pregnancy as a medical condition and the frequency of superfluous medical interventions led me to choose an out-of-hospital birth, one that valued women's inherent knowledge of pregnancy and childbirth. After watching the documentary, The Business of Being Born, I affirmed that I could not have a birth in a hospital unless it was medically necessary. This education served as an inspiration for me to spend the next couple of months working on myself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to prepare for a vaginal, non-medicated labor. This quest for self-awareness and readiness allowed me the opportunity to tap into my inner strength and awareness about the type of birth I wanted for my baby and myself. Having spent half of my adult life disguising the pain of my past and not knowing that I recreated the suffering that I was seeking to avoid, I knew that only by being present in mind, body, and spirit while in labor would I be able to birth with awareness. I viewed pregnancy and childbirth as a sacred passage and not a medical event, even when medical care is necessary and a part of birth. For me, this sacred passage required preparation rooted in self-discovery, emotional release, and looking within to be able to give birth rooted in mindfulness. I was concerned that the unresolved pain I was dealing with would have a negative impact on my pregnancy and labor. My journey revealed that my past trauma deserved my attention and respect, and that I could not be fully liberated until I had healed my relationship with myself. In other words, Labor would be an act that helped me to tap into my inner strength and courage. This would be a labor of love, strength, and courage. It would allow me the opportunity to seek freedom from within and to trust my body in a way that I never could have done before. We have been taught to fear the feminine power that lies within us, and in turn we continue to fear pregnancy and birth. Giving birth to my son, Zen, gave me the courage to embrace vulnerability and unlock the trauma that lived within my mind, body, and spirit. The path of a vaginal and non-medicated labor and birth allowed me to tap into my inner awareness, the site of power and pleasure known as the erotic. Audre Lorde calls for women to recognize the power of the erotic within our lives because it allows us to touch our most deeply creative source and attain the energy we need to pursue genuine change within our world. She further states, For as we begin to recognize our deepest feelings, we begin to give up of necessity, being satisfied with suffering and self-negation and with the numbness which so often seems like their only alternative in our society. Our acts within oppression become integral with self-motivated and empowered from within. The return to the erotic is a reminder of our capacity for feelings and our right to reclaim joy. 
To recognize our profound feelings is to no longer be determined by external forces and to seek and reclaim the power that lies within. Our erotic knowledge empowers us and becomes the lens through which we reclaim our right to love and be loved. The erotic allowed me to tell my truth, trust my body, and love myself so that I could have the birth of my choosing. The erotic way of knowing helped me to birth with love, strength, and courage. No longer was I a prisoner of my past. Birthing in the presence of my partner and wise women who believed in the power of the erotic and the power of women to birth the way they want helped me to reclaim my own power. My birth story will forever leave an imprint on my mind and body and will forever touch my heart. I gained a sense of freedom with my body, sexuality, and self that I could not imagine before giving birth to Zem. On the early morning of Saturday, March 17th, before the sun rose, I felt my first contractions. I spent the day using movement, breathing, and meditation to get through each contraction. With the support of my partner, breathing exercises, and positive words that affirmed the trust I had for myself and my body, I was able to endure labor until I was ready to go to the birth center. Later that evening, the contractions were stronger and closer together. I was in active labor, and my partner and I were headed to the birth center. When we arrived, our midwife and an on-call nurse welcomed us. My friend and doula arrived about an hour later. While I was in active labor, the pain was unbearable, and there were moments when I considered pain medication. My support team reminded me that I was close to meeting my child, reminded me to breathe, and reminded me of the ancestors who were present, supporting me through this trying time. I did not feel alone. I was surrounded by love. With each contraction, I tapped into my erotic knowledge, which allowed me to trust my body and to surrender. The contractions became stronger. It felt like they were coming every minute, and at that point, I claimed the erotic. I was doing the birth dance of breath, movement, and looking within that deep, dark, and strong place within me. In claiming my power, I also was able to embrace the miracles of surrendering. Surrender is an active life energy that flows through us. Spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle defines surrender as the simple yet profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life. The only place you can experience this is in the now. So to surrender is to accept the present moment unconditionally and without reservation. The power of surrender allowed me to be one with the present moment. It allowed me to become in tune with my body and my emotions and the pain and the sensations of the unknown that came with labor. In surrendering to labor, I no longer resisted the sensations of the unknown. My mind, body, and spirit were in sync. The power of the erotic and miracle of surrender gave me the strength to birth my son the next morning. I could trust my body. When labor became difficult and the pain intolerable, flashbacks of my past came to mind. But my support team reminded me to look within, to trust my body, and to simply surrender. I experienced surrender as a sight that allowed me to gain erotic satisfaction and sexual freedom, to love and accept my body in the present moment. 
Birthing Zen gave me an astounding and lasting sense of power, increased self-awareness, greater intimacy, and openness with my partner, unbelievably beautiful memories, and a new and improved relationship with my own body and sexuality. The labor, while challenging, gave me confidence, strength, and power that I never knew I had. A vaginal non-medicated birth was important to me because I needed to feel and be in the moment. It allowed me to trust my body in ways I never was able to before. This birthing story will forever erase the past and the ways I allowed my pain and childhood trauma to haunt and perpetuate the anguish I wanted to escape. Birthing is a spiritual, emotional, and physical journey that allowed me to embrace the erotic and my own strength. It allowed me the power to love myself again. What does it mean to be a survivor mother? I have learned that I am more than a collection of events that have happened to me and that I have agency over my life. In choosing the erotic, I tapped into the deep place within me where my inner awareness led me to strength, courage, and the wisdom to have a memorable birthing story. The power lay within me. And I was able to tap into the inner spiritual force of my ancestors who supported me during labor. I learned to be present, to embrace courage, to work, to understand fear-based beliefs, and to trust my body to help birth my son. I no longer birth the pain of my past. I have birthed sexual freedom, and I will continue on this path of healing so that I can help my son gain the same freedom and awareness. As a survivor mother... I remember my past as a place of strength, but I am not controlled by it. Instead, I look within for love, courage, and sexual freedom. A love letter to my daughter, Love as a Political Act, written by Haley Eshekol. To my darling daughter, here is a lesson in love. It was April 15th, 2009, around 3 a.m., if I remember correctly. I rolled around uncomfortably in the bed, tossing and turning underneath the cool cotton quilt sewn by your great-great-aunt Lucille. Normally, this patchwork quilt was a comfort during a sleepless night. I would imagine that each patch represented the hand of a woman in my, slash your, bloodline, coming together as a field of lineage, legacy, and memory, and enveloping me with love and support. Each patch burst with colors of red and blue plaid, orange and yellow flowers, and other mismatched fragments of history sewn together. Even with the now fraying pieces and occasional rip in the fabric, the blanket still provided warmth. But this April 15th was different. Every little rip and hole seems to let a little warmth escape. I stared up at the dark, high, vaulted ceiling of my mother's, your grandmother's, house. I tried to resituate my aching body and heavy legs into a more comfortable position. Maybe walking three miles in the Texas April heat was not the best idea for a woman nine months pregnant, but I was determined to have you my way and on my terms. I'd hoped that waddling three miles in 100-plus degree heat would somehow jumpstart my labor and sabotage the induction scheduled for the following day. Staring at the ceiling, I began to imagine what labor would be like. How long would it last? 
Would I scream and ignite the firmament with a string of profanities like they do in the movies while slinging sweat and wishing death on the person nearest to me? How painful would labor be? I thought back to the many conversations I'd had with my doctor over the nine months prior. In particular, I remember the conversation around pain medications and labor. Sitting on the exam table with my legs dangling over the side, I remember her asking, Do you have a birth plan? Birth plan? I barely understood the question. I was being asked if I had formulated a blueprint for what I wanted the birth to look like. Up until that point, I had thought very little about it. I knew that I wanted a healthy baby, and I'd always thought that I would have a natural birth. So I probed the doctor about her knowledge around natural birth and what the risks were like, if any, of an epidural. She gave me a 100% assurance that epidurals were safe and would carry minimal risk for my baby and me. I wasn't sure how I felt about this. Her response was, of course, accompanied by a look that suggested that I was out of my mind for even considering a natural birth in this day and age. What was that about? I was well aware of the growing trend towards natural birth, water birth, and home birth. Was it that this type of request was often associated with the practice of midwifery? Given the unacknowledged and suppressed history of black midwives in this country, was there a disjuncture for her in seeing a young, black, pregnant woman seeking a midwife-assisted birth, something commonly assumed to be a white, middle-class luxury? Or was it the fact that my desire for a natural birth disrupted the routine in this country whereby a body, not to mention a black, female body, functioning without intervention is obsolete? Thinking back on this reminds me of a conversation between a local physician and a friend of mine who also worked in that clinic. On the topic of natural birth as an option for his pregnant patients, he expressed something to the effect of, these women are not capable of giving birth in that way. Whatever the hell that meant. Most of the women were poor, black, or Latina, and on Medicaid. The mere knowledge that these explicit and sometimes implicit biases from medical staff had huge impacts on my own perspectives and experiences during prenatal care. While I considered myself to be well-educated, intelligent, and competent young woman, I often left my appointments feeling uncertain and like an ignorant, young, unmarried, baby-out-of-wedlock-having black girl. I often tried to remedy these feelings of inadequacy with random commentary about my law school classes to the doctor and to the nurses, hoping that this would lift me out of whatever stereotypical depiction I assumed they had regulated to me. This feeling was not foreign to me. It was akin to the way I felt a few years prior when a university physician, without asking about my insurance status, informed me that I should take advantage of the free birth control pills available to low-income women at a local grocery store chain. I remember cringing as images of Tuskegee Norplant and sterilized women waltzed across the brain. Nah, I'm good, I thought. Despite this more blatant example, I was never quite sure whether my feelings actually emanated from the looks, comments, and interactions with my provider, or my insecurities were the internalization and acknowledgement of some of the Moynihan-esque assumptions based on my body, or both. As my thoughts wandered that night, I thought about your father, as I did most nights. I wondered what he was doing in that moment. I thought about the few interactions we've had over the months— 
They were always bittersweet, shrouded by the icy gray awkwardness of two people frozen in fear or unfamiliar silence, yet marked by moments of thawing potentiality and canary yellow gleams of fleeting joy. I settled on an image of his face and wondered whom you would take after. I imagined how your chubby little cafe au lait face would look or how your cry and baby babble would sound. What would your first toothless smile look like? And what would your first words be? Then it happened. I felt a strong wrapping tension as if someone was tightening and squeezing a thick belt around my belly from the center of my back, around both sides of my body, with a sensation meeting and subsiding right around my belly button. What was that? About 24 hours later, you were here. These experiences are part of a larger narrative. It is a narrative of love and self-discovery. Yet this is not the Disney princess story that many a young girl is familiar with. It is a progressive, winding, and dusty dirt road more than it is a short, one-way, direct flight to love, as many may think. You see... While many a fairy tale will have you think that love is something that you stumble and fall into, a very significant, often neglected aspect of love is its conceptualization as a choice. In particular, for a young black pregnant woman, the decision to love is a choice riddled with political implications entangled in history. You see, we were used as capital during slavery. Even after emancipation, we were mammies and workers who provided care and sustenance from our own very breasts to the children and families of this country, a country intent on our exploitation. Is this depiction still relevant today? Pundits celebrating the supposed end of racism refer to our first black president and first lady, but black women are still fighting. We struggle against ideologies that pigeonhole us with various stereotypes and deny our womanhood, dignity, and the legitimacy of our motherhood. We struggle for recognition of our humanity in a nation founded on the cement walls and cold metal bars of incarceration, governed by the machinery of subjugation and covered with the leaking roof of systemic disparity. All the while, this damage apparatus is ignored under the false veil of a post-racial society or explained away underneath the obscuring rhetoric of black pathology. So what does all of this have to do with love? What happens when love finds a way to exist where it was never meant to be? What happens when love blossoms where life is not meant to be or where you are not meant to survive? What happens when choosing to love is, in actuality, an act of agency and resistance? What happens when we love ourselves enough to live? Amid oppressive interactions with medical professionals and alongside the evocation of a painful forgotten history, I attempt to create a gentle and loving environment in a world that responds violently to my existence. Taking long walks in the Texas heat to hasten labor, or assertively questioning dominant practices are attempts at self-protection and autonomy over my body. And the decision to love and care for myself informs these actions. In a world set up to maintain a particular racialized, gendered, and hierarchical order that brings black women face-to-face with death and violence, 
Choosing to love and care for oneself despite these things is an undoubtedly a radical and ultimately political act of survival. What I find most profound is that my intentional choice to love myself manifested in episodes interrelated with reproduction and my body. It was most pronounced around my experiences of pregnancy and birth. Although there were other critical moments in my life, one of my most powerful sites of self-realization and politicization was the historical and contemporary site of subjugation for Black women, my body and reproductive capacity. For me, it seemed that everything had built up to that point. Pregnancy and birth highlighted how self-love and care contribute to my own preservation and the preservation of my child, my family, and others. During this time, the fatal repercussions of not loving, caring, and advocating for myself had never been clearer. That was the beginning. I found that this practice creates the ability for me to live and to give love as well. Choosing to find the strength to actively love and to advocate and care for yourself is the beginning of a process of struggle and resistance. What hopefully follows is sharing that love in your experiences and supporting and empowering others to do the same. I'm sure that you remember the countless Saturdays in which you would ask me, Mama, are we going to the mama's meeting today? What you remember as playtime, fun, and snacks was in actuality a group of women building community. As members of Mamas of Color Rising, we put our time, hearts, sweat, and tears into lobbying to open access for poor women of color to receive adequate, just, and loving care, creating support networks and culturally appropriate alternatives around birthing and maternal health and challenging birth disparities. At the root of this work was and is love. It was an attempt to create the just and loving world that we imagined, centered on self-care, healthy communities, self-determination, agency, empowerment, and autonomy. We acknowledge the significance and power of self-love and care. Our work centered on giving care, love, and support to one another while encouraging a community of women to empower themselves to do the same. So, my darling daughter, I ask, what should this mean to you? My hope is that as you grow and live your life, you will find various levels of meaning in these words. While this message emphasizes pregnancy and birth, these do not make up the only medium through which to understand and experience the politics of love. Instead, I hope that you will discern from my words that, given the history that is forever written in your skin, love will always be something more than a sweet embrace or an affectionate kiss. How you love and whom you love are choices that will always have far-reaching implications that are inseparable from the political topography that is Black life, my life, your life. Yet, if you do find yourself as a burgeoning expectant mother, I hope that you will remember these words. Recall the history that precedes you and let its memory and lessons cover you like Aunt Lucille's quilt. Let it serve as a source of strength rather than sorrow, so that you will never forget the indispensable role of love and self-care, however you define, practice, or experience them, in your survival and the survival of those who come after you. I hope that you uncover the power that you possess to take control of your experience. Despite the weight of this decision, I hope that you choose to love yourself radically, to share your love against the odds, 
and to share your story in order to empower others to do the same. Engage in active resistance, choose life, and always struggle to live and love your way and on your terms. Always an infinite love, Mommy. The music you heard on today's show is entitled Lullaby by Tasha. Deep gratitude to the authors and editors that so powerfully wove the book Birthing Justice, Black Women, Pregnancy, and Childbirth. This is an extraordinary book. Buy it from your local bookstore, borrow from a friend, or check it out from the library. Learn more about the Birth Bruja Book Club by going to birthbruja.com. Follow me on social media at birthbruja to continue the conversation. host, Eric Guajardo Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude. Your life is precious. Lay down for a while